I want to I talk to you this morning, um, the message is called Unstuck, and uh, I, I would suggest that the next two Sundays to me feel like uh, two Sundays that are going to set us up as a church, but also individually for not just this year, but for years to come. I, I, I sense in my spirit that even though uh, life has kind of returned to normal, that a lot of us are kind of like stuck in this place. I don't, I don't know about you, but you can sometimes feel stuck in life, right? So, and, it, and it's an awful feeling because it's, it's not that you're going backwards, but you're not going forwards. You're just kind of, you're kind of here. You're not making progress, but you're not going backwards. You're just kind of stuck in this one place. And, and I think we can get stuck um, almost like we're treading water. I think we can get stuck in our marriages. I can, think we can get stuck in our families. I think we can get stuck in our spiritual walk. And we can just get stuck in these places where it's not like anything bad is happening, but it's just that nothing is happening. Are you with me? Yeah. And, uh, and I really felt that for our church, and, and just give you a little bit of background, in 2019, the, the church was growing rapidly, and we were seeing, you know, four to six people saved every Sunday, and the church was going really, really well, and, and we all know what happened in 2020, right? Um, COVID came along, and and we've come out of that, but I sense for us as a church, and I'm not saying it's your fault, probably my fault, um, that we just, we kind of came out of it, but then we just, we just kind of, we're stuck. And I felt God really speak to me and say to me, hey, hey, the, the vision that I had for you in 2019 is still the vision I have for you in 2024. Why, why are you treading water? Let's, let's get moving. And so I started to think to myself, well, why do we get stuck? Like, what are some of the things that cause us to get stuck? And, and, and I went to the book of Haggai, and I started looking at the book of Haggai, and, and hopefully today I'm going to pull out four things, four reasons why we get stuck, why we stop making forward progression in life. But just to give you a little bit of a background uh, in the book of Haggai, in this, the book of Haggai was written in 520 BC, all right, so it's a long time ago, all right? Um, what we're about to read was in 520 BC. They had actually returned back to the promised land after spending 70 years in captivity uh, where King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar came along. He destroyed Jerusalem. He destroyed the temple. He destroyed all the artifacts in the temple. And he took all of Israel away with him into captivity for 70 years. But in, in 536 BC, because when you do BC, it gets less as you get closer. You know, I got confused when I was studying this. I'm like, hold on a sec, that's, that's after, isn't it? Like, uh, no, no, because it goes the other way around, right, when it's BC. And, um, and King Cyrus, who had taken over from Nebuchadnezzar as he had died and stuff, King Cyrus was now in charge, and King Cyrus allowed them in 536 BC to go back to the promised land, and he encouraged them to rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, and he also funded it. He was their financial backing to make it happen. So you can imagine that people are really excited. They're going with Zerubbabel. He's their leader. There's 50,000 of them, and they're going back to Jerusalem to rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild um, the temple and the altar and everything else, and, and they're, you can imagine they're pretty darn excited because they've been in captivity for 70 years, right? 
And now we finally get to go back home. We finally get to, and not only are we going back home, but we get to rebuild it and we don't even have to pay for it. Our captive is paying for it. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that, right? And so when they get back, the first thing they do before they do anything else when they get into the promised land is they build an altar straight away where the temple used to be because it's all rubble. They build an altar straight away and immediately they have a time of worship and sacrifices like they did in the Old Testament because they were just so excited to be back. The very first thing they did is make this temporary altar out of the rubble that they could find and they worshiped God and sacrificed to him and they just lived in tents around the altar. And then the next thing that they decided to do is that they'll rebuild the foundation of the temple and they rebuilt it out of the rubble. Like they didn't have, they didn't, you know, it's not like they go down to Mitre 10 and just get some stuff to come in. They, they were rebuilding it with the rubble that was around and ev- everything was starting to go well until King Cyrus died. King Cyrus, who gave them permission to go and do it, King Cyrus, who was financially backing them to do it, he died. And so all the people that lived around these 50,000 people who didn't want them to rebuild Jerusalem and didn't want them to rebuild the temple started to cause all sorts of problems and saying, hey, I don't think these guys have permission to do this. They shouldn't be allowed to do this. And so all of a sudden the work comes to the screeching halt They're not allowed to do anything. There's a law that says no more rebuilding until we investigate this. And so it was investigated, and it took about six or seven months. And then King Darius, who was king at the time because Cyrus had died, comes back and says, no, 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 I've I've looked through the records. They have permission to do this. I'll financially back this because that's what Cyrus wanted. And, And so you can get going again. You can get moving. We are now... 16 years later, after that scenario, and they have not restarted building the temple. They are stuck. They have pulled back. They have not had any progress for 16 years, even though they have permission to do so because they hit a setback, and the setback caused them to freeze and get stuck. And Haggai comes along in chapter 1, verse 5, and he says this, Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm, and he who earns wages, earns wages to put in a bag with holes in it. He's describing what's happening with them after 16 years. Has anybody ever had a hole in your pocket? I had a favorite pair of shorts when I was about 18, 19 years of age, and it had a hole in the left pocket. And, and, I, I, they were my favorite shorts, so I like to wear them all the time. And the amount of times I put my car keys or something in my left pocket and it just fell through was incredible, right? It just kept on uh, falling through all the time because I had a hole in my left pocket. But I came up with a solution. Just put everything in your right pocket. 
So I used to walk around with my wallet, my keys, my you know, like everything, and your right pocket's like bulging like this. The left one's got nothing in it because it's got a hole in the pocket. And so, so I just had to adjust, right? Like I can't put it in there, so I just put it in my right pocket. Here's the crazy thing. My mum was a really good at sewing. And if I asked her, she would have taken my shorts and she probably would have sewed up the left-hand pocket so that I could have two pockets to put stuff in. But I never asked her to do that. I thought I had a solution by putting everything into my right pocket instead of my left pocket. And, and here's the thing that I learned. I learned when wearing these shorts to live dysfunctionally. I learned not to get them fixed, but just live with the dysfunction of my shorts. And the first thing we see here in the book of Haggai is because of their disappointment and their setback, they chose dysfunction over disappointment. They chose to live with a half kind of baked altar and, and just a foundation of a temple for 16 years because they had a setback when they were moving forward, and rather than being disappointed, rather than having another setback, rather than being knocked back, they decided that they would live with the dysfunction of the temple rather than with the disappointment of the past. And we feel like that sometimes. When we hit a setback on the way to our new dream or we're traveling towards this great outcome that we feel that's for us, and, and, and then all of a sudden we hit this setback, we hit something that stops us in our tracks. And then rather than getting going again, we start to have thoughts like, I, I can't do this. I'm, maybe I'm not meant to do this. This is way harder than I thought it was going to be. And, and, and we, we take on this whole concept around once bitten, twice shy, you know? You, un, you understand what that means? When I was younger, me and my friend Darcy, we used to play cricket up at the school all the time. And, 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 um, and my parents brought me cricket gloves for, for Christmas because, you know, I didn't have any and we were using a real cricket ball and quite often I'd end up with damaged fingers. So they brought me some cricket gloves and we used to, you know, and, and Darcy got me out and so, um, so we swap over and then I take the gloves off, he puts the gloves on, he gets a bat and then I bowl, right? That's, that's kind of how it worked. The only problem is, is that when Darcy went to put the gloves on, there was a bee inside the gloves and it stung him. And so every time we played cricket after that, Darcy would never put the cricket gloves on because the last time I put cricket gloves on, the bee stung me. I'm not going to put those gloves on. How many people know the chances of there being a bee again in the cricket gloves is like quadrillion to one? But because he had had a bad experience once with the cricket gloves, he decided rather than uh, have the protection on his hands, he decided to live with the dysfunction of the ball whacking his fingers because he had had a bad experience in the past with the gloves, and so he refused to wear them again, once bitten, twice shy. And we can be like that. We can, we can end up allowing the trauma of something that happened years ago to be so fresh in our minds, it's like it happened yesterday. 
And so we won't do it because in the past, this is what happened. It goes on in Haggai chapter 2, verse 16, and, and, and this is the Lord speaking to them again. He says, when you hoped for 20 bushel crop, you harvested only 10. When you expected to draw 50 gallons from the wine press, you only got 20. I sent blight and mildew and hail to destroy everything you worked so hard to produce. Even so, you refused to return to me, says the Lord. Sounds like God was being mean to them, but what he was trying to do was get them to return to him, to come back to him. That's kind of how things worked in the Old Testament. How many people are glad that we live in the New Testament and we live in, 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 under his grace and his mercy? Um, but he's trying to get their attention because he's trying to say to them, hey, you're living dysfunctionally and you don't have to live dysfunctionally. He, he's trying to show them, you are, I want to bless you, but the problem is you're living with one pocket in a two-pocket world. You're living with one pocket in a two-pocket world, and I want to bless you, but you're, you're not listening to me. And, and, and the thing is, these fears that we have can, can get into us, and we know they're irrational. We know they don't make sense, but they're still lodged deep in our memories, and it causes a response from us that may be irrational, but it feels very, very real, right? feels very, very real, and we can find ourselves living life fearing something that may never, ever happen. And so there they are, so scared by the trauma of their setbacks they faced 16 years ago, worried that they would be knocked down again, that they decided to live with a dysfunction rather than disappointment. They had a pocket that was perfectly good if they would just sow the hole in it, but they'd rather live dysfunctionally than with the risk of disappointment. Can I say this to you this morning? Don't let trauma become your template for how you live your life. Don't let your trauma become your template of how you live your life. Trauma is not your template. God's truth is your template. God's word is your template. We can sew the hole in our pocket and not walk in dysfunction, not fearing disappointment. And here's the thing, even if things come our way that look like they could be bad, we are okay because God will get us through it if we keep walking with him. If we stay close to him, God will get us through it. I, I tell you, you know, it's, I don't know about you, but, but early on in marriage, it's like if Trinity and I had a fight, then, then the next time I felt like we needed to discuss something, my brain would tell me, you're going to have another massive fight, and you're not going to survive this fight. Your marriage is going to be all over. And, and, and it's funny how our brain tells us that, even though her and I had had probably 10 or 20 fights before we had that fight, and we survived all of them, but your brain kind of communicates to you, you won't survive this one. Don't do it. And this is what happens. Our trauma starts to tell us, oh, you, you won't survive. You won't survive. The same thing's going to happen to you. You know, here's the thing. If you're in this place, in this building, or if you're listening to the sound of my voice, you've already survived stuff from your past. It's, it's drawn you to Jesus. And some of you have already been healed of a whole heap of things that have happened in your life. God's got you through stuff before. God will get you through stuff again. Don't let the trauma become your template. Let 
God's truth be your template. Let's be people that turn away from our trauma and be people that turn towards God, the one who loves us, heals us, the truth bearer, the freedom giver, our salvation, and the center of our lives. We can sometimes get stuck because we choose dysfunction over disappointment. Their template for building the temple was now orientated around how hard it had been the first time, so we better not try again. We'll just live dysfunctionally in the promised land without a temple, seeing an altar sitting on a slab. I want to encourage you, don't choose dysfunction over disappointment. God will always be with you. God will always get you through. Don't live with one pocket in a two-pocket world. You will get stuck. And you won't be able to move forward. You won't necessarily be going backwards. You'll just be treading water in the one place. Because God is a God who heals, right? God loves you too much to leave you the way you are. He wants to heal you, restore you. The first thing that they got them stuck was that they chose dysfunction over disappointment. The second thing that got them stuck is they chose comfort over calling. In Haggai chapter 1 verse 3 to 5, it says, The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. It is time for you yourselves to be, uh, is it time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this temple remains in ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says, consider your ways. He quite often says that all the way through Haggai, consider your ways. And I was Think about what you're doing, right? It goes on in verse 8 of Haggai chapter 1, and it says, Go up to the mountains and bring down the timber and, tim- timber and build my temple so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because my temple which remains in ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crop. I have called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and all of the labor of your hands. He's saying to them, your calling was to come back and rebuild the temple and rebuild Jerusalem, but you have decided to leave my temple in ruins and you have built your own homes because you have chosen your comfort over the calling. You have chosen getting yourself right because you chose dysfunction over disappointment, now you're choosing comfort over your calling. They've chosen comfort instead of the calling that was on their lives and And the reason why we love comfort, all of us, including myself, we all love comfort because comfort gives us an illusion of being in control, right? Gives us an illusion of being in control. But the reality is we're not in control of our lives. God, if we allow him, God will control our lives, but nobody's in control of their lives. And they were called to come back, and their calling was to come back and rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. That's what their calling was. That's what they're meant to be doing. Not building their houses. 
The interesting thing is that Jerusalem actually means city of peace. Juru, the first part, means city, and Salem, which is where we get the word shalom from, means peace, city of peace. When they stopped building the city of peace, they started to look for peace in other places. I don't think you got that. When we're not finding the peace we think we should have in God, we go and start trying to find peace in other places. We go and find a relationship that can't give us the peace that we're looking for. We go and choose a career that can't give us the peace that we're looking for. We go and choose material things that tries to give us the peace that we can't get that way. We, we, we start trying to find peace in other places when, when we choose comfort over calling, instead of building this city of peace, they started building their paneled houses, trying to find peace and comfort in building their own thing, when the reali reality is you only ever find peace when you build the calling of God on your life, the city of peace. While you're building for yourself, you'll never have peace, but while you're building what He's called you to do, you'll have peace, but if you are not following your calling, if you're living for comfort, you will try and find peace in all the wrong places. And, and these guys, they started off so well because they, they just pitched tents when they first got there, pitched some tents up, and they got the altar built, and, 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 and then they, you know, had the sacrifices and the worship, and, and, you know, like, they started so well, but because things didn't go to plan, because they had a setback, they drifted into this consumer thing of let's build our houses instead. And the houses just got more and more extravagant because when it says panelled houses, like panelled houses were like the best kind of homes you could ever have then. They're probably watching, I don't know, Chip and Joanna games and working out. Ooh, we could have some wainscoting here in the lounge. If you don't watch Chip and Joanna games, I'm sorry, you've just missed my whole entire illustration let's build up our own houses instead and they go more extravagant but God calls there to be a drought of peace on them because they were trying to find peace in all the wrong places and this happens to us also when we drift from the call of God here's the thing there's nothing wrong with them building paneled houses, right? There's, there's nothing wrong that they, you know, you, you, you can't criticize them for wanting to have homes to live in, right? The problem is not that they built homes. The problem is, is that the first things weren't done first. The first things weren't done first. The first thing you need to do, build the altar, build the temple, then you can build your houses. They hadn't done the first things first. And and here's the crazy thing, Israel ended up in Babylon because they didn't keep the first things first. If, if you look into it in Scripture, for 490 years, Israel failed to keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not a law, the Sabbath came in before the law, and the Sabbath is about you taking a day of rest, one out of every seven days, but the Israelites had not obeyed the law of the Sabbath 
for they had not obeyed the Sabbath for 470 years, and so they were in captivity for 70 years. It was one year for every day they neglected to put God first. You see, the whole thing about first with God is a big deal. Not because it's in the law, because heaps of people go, oh, it's in Moses' law. No, it's not. The principle of the first started in creation. I shared this the other week, right? God made the heavens and the earth in six days. On the sixth day, he made Adam. And what did he do on the seventh day? He what? He rested. God created rest. God created the seventh day as rest. And I said that Adam gets up on his first morning, and he's like, what are we doing today, God? Like, are we... What's happening? What's, what, what work do we need to do today? And God turns around and says, well, no, no, no. The first day that you spend with me, you're going to learn to rest because you need to learn to rest in the work that I've done, not what you've done. And so the principle of first came right there. It's like the first day of the week belongs to God. The first day belongs to Him. That's the principle of it. It's putting Him first in our week. This is why we have church, so we can put Him first in our week. And the, and the principle of the first predates the law. It predates Moses because it has nothing to do with law and everything to do with honoring God and putting him first. God invented it. He's got, he, he, in the garden, what did he say to him? You can eat of any tree in the garden, but not that one. That's my one. That's my tree. The first tree belongs to me. You can have the rest. But the first belongs to me. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, that belongs to me. Don't eat of it, because if you eat of it, you're sh- there won't be honor to me. Honor me by letting me have the first tree. You can have all the others. You can have the other six days of the week, but give me the first day. The principle of the first. The first tree was God's. The first day was God's. The principle is If God gives us anything, and we all know that all good things come from Him, if God gives us anything, the principle is is that the first of it always goes back to Him. The first time of my morning goes back to Him of time with Him. The first day of my week goes back to Him by being in church. The first, you know, of my income goes back to Him, not because it's law, but because it's honoring God and it's trusting Him. This is where the principle of the tithe comes from. It doesn't come from law. It comes from the principle of the first, of always putting God first in every single area of our lives, giving Him the first of everything. We, we all know in the book of Genesis with Cain and Abel that Cain got in trouble because he didn't give the best, and Abel did. It's putting him first. Why? Because what we're saying is we honor you. It's the principle of the first. And what got Israel into captivity is they didn't honor the principle of the first. And that's what got them into captivity in the first place. And so we've we've got to say, you know, God, I give you the first day of my week. I give you uh, the, the first minutes of my day. I give you the first of my income. Because we understand that when we do that, the peace that we crave on the inside, we will have because that's what we're called to do first. Are you, are you with me? You see, while we're, not talk, while we're not walking in the call of God, while they weren't walking in the call of God, they weren't honoring the principle of the first. While they weren't walking in the call of God, they got taken out of their promised land and into captivity, and they had no peace because they were slaves. 
And now they have come back to the promised land to rebuild the temple, rebuild Jerusalem. And they're making the same mistake by not putting him first. Living in the land but walking in the same old mistake because the pattern is still present. Now I want to say this. They're not bad people, right? They're not evil people. It's not like they're building P-labs and tinny houses. They're just building houses for themselves, right? For their kids to live in, right? They weren't bad people. They were just busy and distracted people because it says you're busy building your paneled houses. They were busy and distracted people. And whenever you and I end up not putting God first in his rightful place, it's usually always because we're distracted in our priorities of what's important. Distractions cause us to look at, th- look at things for peace that simply cannot give us peace. Relationships to give us what it cannot. Careers, money to give us what it cannot. Looking for peace in all the wrong places. We can't walk out in the peace of the prayers that we've never prayed. You can't walk out in the peace of the prayers that you've never prayed. You can't walk out in the revelation that's in the room if you're not in the room. You can't see the blessing on an offering of faith that was sacrificially given if you've never given it. Because we're bad people? No. Because we're busy people. They were just simply focusing on their comfort over their calling. And Matthew 6.33, which is a famous piece of scripture, says what? But seek ye first the kingdom of... Come with me. Seek ye first the kingdom of... And his... And all these things will be as well, right? So what's the scripture about? Everything God wants you to have, you will have, but it comes after seeking him first. It's a principle of the first. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness first, and then all these things will be added to you second. It's, it's the first principle. It's about you put him first, everything else gets added to you. You put him first, you'll have peace. You put them first, you'll have peace. The third reason why they got stuck is because they chose fear over faith. They chose fear over faith. In Haggai chapter 1 verse 2, it says, this is, this is what the Lord says. The people are saying, in other words, this is not something they said once. This is something that they said over and over again, right? Are you hearing me? The time has not yet come to rebuild the temple of the Lord. Um, it's been 16 years. Like, when is it time? It'll be time when it's time. Yeah, when's that? We'll know. We'll know when it's time. The Lord will speak to us when it's time. Yeah, so, so when's that? Well, I, I just haven't felt the prophetic unctioning of the Lord yet. We're just waiting on him. We will know when it's time. It's not time now, but we'll know when it's time. How will you know when it's Christmas? We'll just know that it's time. Or, or, or shall I put it into modern day language? Um, I'm praying about it. I'm praying about that. Can, can I say this with all the love of my heart? No, you're not. No, you're not. 
Because if you're praying about some of the things that you supposedly are praying about, it would be a very short prayer time. God, should I read my Bible? Yes. God, should I attend church? Yes. God, should I serve? Yes. God, should I give? Yes. God, should I help the poor and the needy? Yes. God, should I make a cake for my next door neighbor and bless them? Yes. It would be very, very short prayer times. Are you with me? But, but Craig, I, I get what you're saying, but it's just not time yet. The time is just not yet. God will nudge me when it's right. We have an, and what we end up having is we have an altar and we have a slab, but the, it's just not time yet. It's just not time yet. Let's be honest. Because I'm, I'm like this too, right? But let's just be honest. You're just afraid. And we're all afraid. Following God is not fearless. There's, you get afraid to step out for him, to do the things that he wants you to do. But, but faith is doing it anyway, in the face of fear. We're afraid because these guys were afraid because we were trusting in Cyrus. Like Cyrus had our back, man, and then he died, and, and everything turned to custard, and, and Cyrus just, he's not here with us now, and, and we don't have his backing anymore, and people are questioning whether we should even be here, and it's getting scary, like we could end up back in captivity again, and it's just getting scary, and, and, and what God says to them in the book of Haggai is he says this, he basically says, God says, I know you're scared because of Cyrus, because he's dead, but I'm not dead. I'm not dead. Cyrus is gone, but I'm here. And again and again, all the way through this small book, God constantly says to them, I am with you. Don't be afraid. Be strong. Have faith to take the scary step. Because until you do, you'll just be procrastinating, and you've been procrastinating for 16 years. Maybe there's some here today and it's like God's spoken to you years ago and you just procrastinated and procrastinated. I, I, I would implore you this morning, take the step. Trust him. God wouldn't call you to do something that he's not going to make happen, right? He who started a good work in you will be faithful to the end. God doesn't want you to fail. If, if God wanted you to fail and be miserable, it wouldn't be a very good advert for his love and mercy, would it? Come on, we can't, we can't get stuck in fear. You, you know what I realized as I, as I studied this, and it just hit me, and hopefully this will hit you, because here's the thing, for 16 years they procrastinated. Their kids could have grown up in a move of God. Think about that for a minute. Their kids could have grown up in a move of God. But their fear and their choices meant that their kids didn't grow up in a move of God. Can you imagine what the next generation would have been like that grew up in a move of God? Mums and dads, 
your fear can get in the way of your children growing up in a move of God. Because they prioritized other things. And we say, one day, one day, one day. The time is not yet. One day, one day, one day. But let me ask you this. At what cost? Because their kids could have grown up in a move of God. At what cost is your one day? The time is not yet. What cost is that costing you? Because here's the thing. The devil wants you to think that reading your Bible praying, giving, serving, being in church, getting your kids to youth. He wants you to think it's really important. He does. He wants you to think it's really important. He just wants you to think it's important tomorrow. Not today. Tomorrow. The time's not yet come. Tomorrow. You'll get there. He whispers in your ear and says, those things are really, really important, but the the time just hasn't come yet. You'll get there. You'll get there one day. The time has just not come yet. Here's the thing. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is not something you have to conjure up on the inside of you. Faith is obedience to what he says. Faith is faithfulness to what he says. Faith is trusting in God no matter what is going on. That's faith. And the reality is, if we're all really honest with ourselves, we're just, we're just actually, we're just afraid. We're afraid of what might happen. We're afraid because of things that have happened. Can I say this? That if you say to God today that you're afraid to take that step, if you say to God today that you're afraid to step out into the next thing, he's going to answer you the same way that he answered them. Hey, hey, I'm with you. It's okay. I'll never leave you. I won't forsake you. We can do this. Let's go. Let's dream. Let's fight. Let's get this thing moving. Let's see our lives transformed. The fourth reason why they got stuck in a 16-year cycle of not rebuilding the temple is because they chose the past over the present. They chose the past over the present. It says here in Haggai 2, 3, it says, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? Talking about Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was unbelievable. Solomon was the wealthiest. They estimate that Solomon, at the time that he was alive, owned 75% of the gold in the world. He didn't have things plated in gold. He had pure gold. You know, like, it was unbelievable, his temple. People traveled, Queen of Sheba traveled just to come and see, because she had heard how magnificent it was. And there were some people there that had seen Solomon's temple and they're now looking at this this foundation built out of rubble and this altar built out of rubble. It just doesn't compare, right? They, They chose the past and glorified it above what God wanted to do in the present. They chose the past and glorified it over what God wanted to do in the present. In fact, let me put it this way. The barrier to them seeing God do something awesome was that they had seen God do something awesome in the past. I don't think you're hearing me. This happens all the time in church. The glory days. I remember back in the glory days, the Jesus revolution. Oh, if we could just go. No, 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 no. No, you're, you're missing the point. 
They can't see what God's going to do in this season because of what God did in a previous season. They, they can't see what God's going to do through this temple because all they can think about is what the former temple looked like. He goes on in, in, in verse 3 and it says, Who is left among you who saw the temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is it not nothing in your eyes? Is it like this pathetic? Is this thing just absolute rubbish? Like, what are we building here? Is this a Lego temple? In other words, what he's saying is that you have, com you have completely despised what it is because you're completely consumed with what was. You despise what is now because you're consumed with what was before. Stick with me. We're going we're gonna to get somewhere. If it could just be like it was in the glory days, it would be awesome now, right? Here's the problem. Newsflash. These 50,000 Jews did not have the budget that Solomon had. They did not have 75% of the world's gold in their care. They did not have Solomon's budget. And what God was going to do now was never going to look like what Solomon did. Never going to look like it. The reality is, they don't know this because they aren't alive when this happens, but the reality is that at some years later, King Herod gets hold of that temple that they despise, he gets hold of it, and the temple ends up being three to four times larger than Solomon's temple ever was. But, but they don't know that right now. Remember in, in the series we just did, um, little things, big difference. In the, in the Bible it says, God does not despise the days of small beginnings, but he rejoices in them. He rejoices in them. It's not bigger than Solomon's temple now in this moment with him, but but it's not how it started out right now. Right now, it just looks little and pathetic. It looks like rubbish. It's been created out of rubble. The leftover broken pieces. How, how could this ever be what we want it to be? They were paralyzed by nostalgia. They were paralyzed by how things were rather than how things are. Can I be honest with you, the biggest, can I just get someone to jump on the keys, the, the biggest challenge I face pastoring this church, and it's not your guys' problem, this is my problem, okay? You guys are awesome, I'm the problem. I face pastoring the church is my inner thoughts in low, unguarded moments are things like this. Your best days of ministry are behind you, Craig. I mean, look at it. Church is not what it was when it was in 2019. And, and you just need to accept the fact that maybe your season's done. Maybe someone else needs to come in here and do it. Just, just don't believe. Let me finish. Don't believe that what you're believing for can happen. That's what happens to me in my lowest unguarded moments. I can, in my lowest moments, despise and miss out on what is doing in front of me because it seems pathetic to what he did previously. 
and I'm hoping, when I'm down like that, I'm hoping that I can recapture what was. Can recapture what was because I think that getting back to that is going to somehow give me peace. And we can be paralyzed by nostalgia and choose to anchor ourselves in the past rather than in the present. And I really felt God say this to me really, really strongly as I, as I, as I put this study together. I felt like God say this to me, says, what if God in this season wants to do something smaller than the previous season? Because in our world, right, bigger is better, right? Yes? No, not many people, unless they've retired and all the kids have left home, go from a larger home to a smaller home. We're always trying to get a bigger home, right? Bigger car, bigger boat. Everything should be bigger and better than the last one. Until you get, you know, older and then you wisen up, I suppose. I, I, I'm not sure. But we always think, that this, this can't be God. This is smaller than what it was. How can this be God? How can this pathetic temple that's just made of rubble and it's piddly and small, how can that be God in this season when it was so huge? And the, that, that, that's a, God doesn't do smaller. God does bigger. You know, he's, he, he's a God of abundance, right? He can do exceedingly more than we can ask or think of. Smaller can't be right. But then I started looking in Scripture, and do you know that the feeding of the 4,000 came after the feeding of the 5,000? And, and if I was a disciple, I'd be like, Jesus, 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 hold on a second. We just did 5,000. The next step is probably 7,000. And once we've hit the 7,000 mark, let's go for 10. And Jesus goes, no, we're going to do four. No, 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 you don't understand. This, this is not how it works. You don't go smaller, you go bigger. You go bigger, right? Don't go smaller. But you know why he fed 4,000 on that day? Because that was required that day. And we can despise the small things because we don't understand that, that that's what's required in that day. It doesn't have to be bigger and better. It's just what's required of God in that moment. And it might be smaller than what you've done in the past, but that's what he requires. It's what he requires. Maybe God wants to do something in your life that's smaller than what he's done previously in the season. And, and we can despise it because it's smaller, but we know if we've been part of the Little Things Big Different series, we'd know that when you're faithful in the small things, God gives you faithful to eventually build the temple that was smaller than Solomon's, but ends up being four times bigger than Solomon's. See, it's not bigger and better. It's about glorious. It's not about bigger and better. It's about glorious. Well, what do you mean? Haggai 2.9 says, the former glory of this temple, the future glory, sorry, of this temple will be greater than the past temple's glory, says the Lord. And in this place, I will bring peace. You see, God is saying to him, it's not about it being bigger. This temple is going to be more glorious 
than the previous temple. What? That one was covered in gold, and it was huge. How can the glory of this pathetic thing be greater than the former thing? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because this temple that Zerubbabel was building would eventually, this crude, plain temple, would eventually be the temple that God has the pleasure of sending his son to, first to be circumcised, as was their tradition, second as a teenager leading a Bible study for the Jewish leaders, and greater than that, that while he was on Calvary on the cross, dying for the sins of the world, it was this temple that the curtain was torn in two so that the peace of God could be available to all men. Why? Because the glory of this temple will be greater than the former glory. There wasn't peace for all men in the former temple, but God used the little things to confound the wise because God doesn't despise little things. Then maybe the small thing that God's trying to do in you is actually the thing that's going to bring the biggest peace to the world around you, to your family, to your friends, to your neighborhood, to our community, because it was torn into the curtain so that the peace of God could be available to all men. That's glorious. It's not bigger, but it's glorious. It's not a bigger temple, but it's more glory. It's more glorious. The present is what God wants to work in, not your past. He wants to do something in the now, not your was. So let go of what's behind you. Forget the former things, because the Lord is going to do a new thing. And this glory is going to be greater than before, and so we are not going to weep over how God is going to do today looks different to what he has done in the past. And our preconceived notions of what we believe it should be and miss out on the chance of seeing God do something glorious in our lives. Why? Because we're not here for anything other than we're here for the glory. Not for ourselves, but for him. Uh, if, if the church gets bigger, awesome. But I want it to be glorious. Uh, it's not about the church getting bigger. It's about it be more glorious. It's about God doing something more with what we have now than what we had before. It's about not getting paralyzed by nostalgia of the past, but understanding that God, when He doesn't despise the day of small beginnings. It's understanding that we're better to get our pockets sewed and not live in dysfunction, fearing disappointment. It's understanding that we don't need to live in fear, but we can live in faith and trust Him with everything that He plans. It means that we're not going to be people that live in our comfort, but we're going to be people that live in our calling. Because when we live in our calling, we see Jerusalem rebuilt and we become a city of peace, just like the temple became a place of peace for all of our community and our nation and around the world. Because we're not going to be stuck any longer in disappointment and dysfunction. We're not going to be stuck in comfort. We're not going to be stuck in fear. And we're certainly not going to be stuck in our past because we are people that are living for the glory. Why don't you all stand to your feet, close your eyes for a moment. I really felt God speak so strongly to me this week. It's not about bigger. 
It's not about better. It's about glorious. It's about glorious. God wants to do something glorious in your life. God wants to do something glorious. And you're like, but how can he? I, I, like, I, like, you know, I, I'm divorced now or, or I've lost my job and my income isn't what it used to be. Or your season right now looks smaller than what it's been in the past. And you're like, how can God do something more glorious with this? Because we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. It can be more glorious because of what God is bringing you through can bring more glory to Him than what you have been up to. It's about understanding that He wants to be more glorious in your present than your past. He wants to be more glorious in your future than your past. And you don't need to be fearful of that. We need to take the step. I know it's scary, but He's with us. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. If God has called you to it, God will bring you through it. Are you hearing me? And some of us, we're just living, we've chosen to live with dysfunction. And we're gonna say, because we're worried about the disappointments. And I'll just say to you, man, get that pocket sewed. Be a two-pocket person in a two-pocket world. Let's all close our eyes. I want to ask you this morning. Maybe we can get the singers and the rest of the musicians as well. I want to give you an opportunity this morning to respond. Maybe you recognize that, man, I've been, I've been living with dysfunction and I don't want to live with dysfunction anymore. I want, I want God to sew my pocket. I want God to sew my pocket. I'm sick of being stuck in this cycle of dysfunction. I want God to sew my pocket. Or maybe you're here this morning and you realize, man, I... <laughs> I've been living in comfort rather than my calling. I still feel that calling. I still feel it eating away at me on the inside, but I, I've chosen to ignore it over time. Maybe you had some setbacks. Maybe things haven't gone to plan, and so you're just like, you know what? I, I'm just going to park that. Maybe this morning you're like, man, I, I want to pick up my calling again. I want to I pick up that calling. I don't want to... Or, or maybe you're, you're just realized, man, I've just, I just been defaulting to fear about everything and I, and I don't want to be that way anymore I want to step into trusting God loving God believing that he is for me and no weapon formed against me will prosper and maybe you're here and you're like man I I must admit I I so look at my past and think I wish I wish that could happen again I wish I could experience that again and I've I've despised my present and, I, and it's failed, I've got stuck, and I failed to be able to see that my future can be more glorious than my past. And if you're here this morning, and you're like, man, would, would you pray for me? What, whatever those things might be, would you, would you pray for me? Would there be somebody that could stand with me, lay hands on me, and pray for me to break the dysfunction? to break me out of the comfort, to break the fear of my life, to help me to see a glorious future. I would love someone to pray with me if that's you. We're going to sing really shortly. And I just want you to come up out of your seats and we're going to get the ministry team to come and pray for you and just believe that God can do 
a miracle this morning that's going to get you unstuck out of that cycle that you've been in, and He's going to launch you into the more glorious future than you could ever dream of or ever believe for. Why don't we do that this morning? Why don't we sing, and if that's you, why don't you come? Come on, if that's you. Come on. If you're here.